Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. My, oh my. Today, I sat down and talked to Janusz Barberis, who is the co-founder of Supercharger Ventures, a founder of Founders Taboo, or Founder Taboo, and so much more. <laughs> a human behind several unicorns, not where he built them, but where he helped them through the accelerator that he's created before. And we're talking about the mental health of the founders, which is a big passion of both of us. We talk about uh, Janusz's personal history with uh, the issues that can raise from the unconditional focus on your business and how that creates the lack of focus on self. And that leads to serious issues. In the case of Janusz, it has been six months of hospital and a couple of years of getting back to normal, closing down a very successful accelerator that has been built as a company with a very good uh, team. Just because the founder, the person, the visionary behind it was not sustainable himself. We talk about the stories of superhuman Founders, we covered a lot throughout the conversation about those stories, their duration, the, the, the transition from superhero to supervillain, and so on. Uh, we're discussing the co-founder, having co-founders, the pros and cons of that, and how you can set yourself up for success with that story. We, of course, discussed the mental health and the support of the people around you and how if you are worried about someone in your network uh, and their mental health or physical health, how it's never in vain to talk about that concern with that person. And you need to listen uh, to that part of the conversation, how Janusz explains it, because I think it's brilliant and very, very helpful mind shift that you can take for yourself to really be helpful for the founders who are running into the wall. We're talking about the inner Velcro uh, of how the founders can hear those talks and comments about the concerns of the other people and so much more. So I really want you to make space in your calendar and in your head to very attentively listen to this conversation. It's longer than my recent episodes and it is for a good reason. And I guarantee that you will walk away with a deeper understanding of yourself, with some actions you can take to take better care of yourself or be a better support for someone around you. And talking about support, I just want to remind you that I have a couple of sports open for the rest of the year for the Mind Shifting Intensive, which is a one and a half hour experience of diving deep into your life, your feelings, your thoughts, your plans, your fears, your challenges, your opportunities. This is a luxury that so many leaders do not allow themselves to take time to talk about how they feel to bounce ideas, to think at someone. And the mind-shifting experience is that luxury. Make this present for yourself because you're worth of it. Enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. 
Janusz, warmest welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Anna. I think I've had the longest pre-chat ever in the episodes or the history of the podcast. We had what eighty something episodes right now. <laughs> so, look, I hope I hope that uh, the actual podcast will be uh, as insightful as the pre-chat. Otherwise, people will miss out on a lot of good things. So. I bet, I bet, and we'll put some pull some things out of that conversation. But yeah, I just really didn't want to start recording because I just wanted to continue with those conversations. Let's roll back a bit in your uh, life. A couple of years, like five years ago, you were in Hong Kong building something very big and interesting and new. And there was a two different pictures of Janos at that moment. Something that the world has seen in the ecosystem, the startup ecosystem has seen, and something that the inner circle was observing. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a bit more about those two versions of Janos? Yeah, so so I think um, so five years ago was four or five years ago was the tail end, but the successful tail end of of supercharger fintech accelerator. We were an accelerator for financial technology companies entering and expanding in Asia. And we were really the number one in, in the market. We were the biggest brand, we're the biggest accelerator. People liked what we do. And accelerators is a very public business. It's it's an ecosystem play, right? So the fact that a lot of people saw me was the nature of doing demo days where you have all the investors coming, doing events, market awareness, building, et cetera, et cetera. And so what people saw was the third or fourth year running with a 10, 10x growth year on year of an accelerator that started out of nothing into the accelerator in fintech in, in the region with some of outstanding companies that are now unicorns with some of the best sales cycle reduction rate in the industry. Like we take fintech company 18 months to sell, we would do it in six weeks. And so, and, 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 but I guess most importantly, we had fun. We were with that non-obvious team of building something inspirational and, and we were being carried by momentum, by the growth of fintech in Asia, by the growth of Asia. So it was really, really successful. Now, that career success or that company success came from one thing and one thing only, which is the focus that I had and that the team had on growing the business 10x year on year. And actually, we would always tell our client, our large client, the big banks and the FIs and all this, that if they don't set themselves to grow their target with us 10, 10x, we would not renew their contract, even though they were the one giving us money. Essentially, we said, look, we want to keep on growing, but if you don't, if you've done five partnerships this year, next year you don't want to commit to fifty. We don't want your money because we are in the business of making founders successful, and for them to be successful, they need to do more deals with you. And your money, even though it's sponsoring money, it's nice, but it doesn't make founders. And we didn't want to be a, a fintech zoo of sort where banks would come and see founders and go, oh, wow, that's innovation. Like we wanted deals to happen because we really cared about about that. So that. Unconditional focus, in a way, was amazing, but it also came at the detriment of of me not focusing on myself. And so it, it never was a trade-off. I've never thought, you know, I'm not going to take care of myself and the company, but it just so happened because first-time founder, no co-founder, being in the pain and the excitement of the day-to-day, you fo- forget the rest. And so you started to have a lot of telltale sign of me being sick. I, I would go in between two keynotes. I would go into the hospital, be checked in. I would start sleeping on the desk at the office in front of the team just because I was exhausted. I would 
fall asleep on the sofa every evening, coming back from home and then running into the office the next day. To the point that one day over Christmas time, I had such a pain in the shoulder. I went to the hospital and long story short, I stayed six months in the hospital to recover from that. And then it took me a few more years, right? So in, in a funny way, I've, the world saw something very successful. And then personally, it was slowly being chipped away step by step as, as a founder. And, and that's when you got to realize that you as a founder is very important because then when I was not able to operate anymore because I was physically incapable of operating, then all that growth you got to realize was very founder dependent. Mm-hmm. And now the company doesn't, doesn't grow and succeed anymore. And then therefore Supercharger, we had an amazing team. The team was able to keep on driving the business for a year, a year and a half. But when it came to renewing contract, it was a different story, right? And so selling the vision of tomorrow, like like I said before, telling our client, we're going to grow 10x year on year. Okay, so what is going to be the 10x next year? But we didn't have the, the vision for that. And so we, we couldn't renew those contracts. So then we stopped. And therefore then that career success, that professional success, realigned with the personal failure. And then you start again from zero on both sides. And, and that's that really opens up a lot of question and doubt in your mind, which is, can I be an entrepreneur again? Did it work? What did I do this to myself, etc. So that's what people saw. People saw an accelerator at the top and someone that was quite successful, even though I do have to say that I think my team and my close family, um, they've always said, Janos, take it easy. But I, I just didn't listen, right? Which is maybe the stupid, white, young guy mindset of, yeah, come on, man. Whoever listens to that when someone says that? Really? Oh, no, but you're okay. right. <laughs> I'm the boring one who actually did that when my manager in the consultancy said that. But I, I am the one who follows the rules <laughs> and I have the physical pain when I break them consciously. <laughs> so here I am. That's why I'm not an entrepreneur, right? Uh, but generally, like, who follows that advice? And I think that that's the thing, right? So this is what I'm getting at, which is I, I think there is, there is an issue sometimes that when you're a founder, you think that you're a bit superhuman. And we are like doing what we built at the time is not normal. And in the speed at which we did is not normal. So yes, there's a little bit of superhuman thing, but the body, fortunately or unfortunately, depends how you want to look at it. At one point, it can just slap you back and go, hey, by the way, just come down here. And your friends and family, they are a good signal of you taking care of yourself. And you need to, unfortunately, it's a bizarre thing, right? Which is, I got to see, but Sometimes your family and your friends feel very helpless with helping a founder that is going through a tough time. And I think what friends and family should know, keep saying it. it. Down the line, what you say will not make the founder change his or her mind about taking care. It's, it's an internal thing. At one point in the founder's mind, it will click and done it. I need to take care of myself. But having that support network, of people ready to be around you when you will make that change is super valuable. So it's, it's a very selfish thing. It's saying, hey, guys, yeah, I'm going to be super selfish. I'm going to be a superhuman. I know everyone wants to take care of me. And yeah, one day when I'll decide that you can take care of me, I'll, I'll ring you up. Unfortunately, that's how it is for a lot of founders. But I think for all the friends and family that look at their partners, their spouse, their friends, I'm saying, you know, he's killing himself or she's killing himself doing it. Keep saying, keep saying it, because at one point, there will be that moment of, of reckoning, and then the founder will go back and try to say, at least thank you for, thank you for telling me and sorry for not listening. doesn't make it better, but it, it, takes, it, it really takes time to realize that what someone told you was the right thing. And sometimes you realize it six years later, right? So 
Ah, I did say to to take it easy. This is such a valuable point here, Janos, and I'm so grateful that you're talking about that because that can normalize the conversation. That's what you do at Founders Taboo, right? You're trying to normalize talking about those things. But this is what how people around the founders can really feel like they're not useless with their piece of advice, with their worry and so on, right? What, what, just what you said. It's so important that once something clicks in that founder and that click internal click can be a slap in the face by the health and the body, right? But once that happens, they open their eyes and they start seeing all these people who are ready to, like, to, to help. And then it's easier to accept help. But if you're just silently worrying about the founder in your uh, in your family, in your friends circle, they will not know that you are one one of the people whom they can actually come to and say, "Hey, I don't feel well right now. I need help." And I think that that's important sometimes for the founders because I think then there's another thing, which is there's the founders that don't know what they don't have, and so therefore, if if you say, "Hey, get better," you go like, "Yeah, well, I'm fine." Like even though you're dying and you have. You know, your eyes, lids are terrible and your skin is terrible and you're sick every time. So, no, I'm fine. You know, nothing will happen to me. And then you have founders, which they know they need help, but then they don't know who they can talk to. And but at least being aware that you can talk to a few people that over time has told you, stop doing this to yourself. Whether or not once you go and talk to them, then they have the right advice. Because, for example, you know, if I take my team member that said, Janos, you should take care of your health. And then... Five years later, I go, oh, wow, actually, yeah, it's a good point. But now I go to them and say, hey, by the way, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm talking to the wrong person because now I need someone else that can deal with depression, for example. But, but, I, but it's funny how I think founders are so, there's such a high onus on self. Everything you solve is yourself, right? Can and you so explain? If, if it's, or at least for me, you know, me personally is I've hardly allowed anyone in my personal, actually, not personal, I've been, my personal struggle because I'm the mm-hmm. type of personality, which is if I see a problem, I will try to find a solution myself. Okay. And I think that includes if I have a problem with myself, I will find a problem with myself. And unless I am convinced, then I, someone can keep on telling me what to do, but I won't do it. It's not being stubborn. It's just not being receptive to it. And I think it, because founders are so self-driven, it's very hard for anyone that is in the in the periphery of founder's life to have enough fourth strength and persuasion to change the way a founders think by giving an advice. The amount of trust you need as a founder to listen to someone else's advice and stop everything and go, I'm going to do exactly what you said. It's, it's very, very rare. It's rare in business and even more personally. I think that's why sometimes there's a disconnect between what people say, which is true. The question is sometimes the founders, they don't trust that advice from that person because they go, but how can you understand what I have? And it's, 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 I have other priorities. Yes, of course it's difficult, but is there another path? Like sleeping won't make me fix X, Y, Z. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, um, but I think it's a personal journey. Like you getting better as a founder, either you've never had a problem, and therefore it's fine, or you had a problem, but then it's, it's a personal fight. Like you need to tell it to yourself that you need to fix it. It won't come from someone else. I have to say about that, it's like this, I work quite a lot with self-esteem and that's this mm-hmm. inner core. And I usually give an example that quite a lot of people can understand. When they get compliments, when they have low self-esteem, there is nothing in this inner core that this can stick to the compliment mm-hmm. so that they can internalize it, that they actually can ring the bell. So they're like, they, they might even learn to say, yeah, thank you. 
for the compliment. But if I asked them the next day, they wouldn't remember what the compliment was. That's because there is this no, no Velcro inside that this, this compliment can stick to. And that's the same, I think, with the founders and the self-care. It, there should be something within, so some understanding so that that piece of advice can actually stick to and resonate with internally. And only then can that somehow create the process of, of asking for help, accepting help, looking for solutions on that matter. I wanted to touch on the thing that you talked about with your team managed to keep the company going, the accelerator going while you were sick and recovering, but then the visionary piece was missing. And especially because mm-hmm. you were alone as a founder. What's your take on based on that experience? Like, of course, you want to be the visionary leader in the company, but where is the balance of having more visionaries so that the team is self-sustainable, so that the company can operate without you versus like really following your vision as the founder? I think it's, um, I was actually having a, a discussion this morning with a founder. Um, so one of the things I've done, like one of the commitments I've made during World Mental Health Day is I've opened my calendar to talk to other founders twice a week until the end of the year. And I was talking to that founder and um, she has a co-founder. She now has a team of 20, 30. And what she was saying was she hasn't taken a holiday in two years, and but she's scared to take a holiday because then she thinks the business is going to stop working. And what I was telling her is, to your point about my own experience, I think that there is a time to be a hustle founder and there's a time to be a visionary CEO or a CEO. And you, you can be a hustler and a visionary, but at one point you need to step up and not be in the grind of building the company, but being in the job of telling your team where you want to go next. And it's, it's interesting because depending on how you define what a founder is, if you define a founder as someone that hustles every day, that is working 18 hours a day, that is behind every single fire, that can do from cold email all the way to packing a box to the post office to doing your accounts, the moment you become a CEO or the moment you only give vision, there's a real question to ask yourself, which is, but am I still a founder? Like if you define your identity as the one that is doing, the moment you don't do, you have a question of, but am I still a founder? And I think it's very, very uncomfortable for you to accept that transition. And essentially, is, can you grow into the role of becoming a CEO? Certain founders, it's no. And that's why you need to have a professional CEO. Certain founders is yes, great. And certain founders is maybes, and those maybes you need to accompany the journey. And I think for me, it was always very uncomfortable because in a way, I've defined a lot of my leadership into um, into leading by example. Like if I work 18 hours a day, I'm not asking my team to work in 18 hours a day, but if I ask them to work 10, they should be able to do that. So I didn't have the same level of standard for them, but I wanted to show that if I ask you something, it's not because I've never done it. Hmm. So it's kind of leadership by example. And then I started moving towards another type of leadership, which is uh, being a servant, a servant leader. I, I do fundamentally believe, at least from my personality, there's different founders, different styles, that serving your team so that your team can serve the company is what you need. And therefore, what you need to serve the team, you need to tell them where they go. You need to give them the resources that they need in order to get there. And you need to inspire them on why the fuck am I coming to the office every day. And if you do those three things, and if you have the right team, you can do there. And, and for me, I came to that realization at the time, but it was too late. We were about to have a strategic roadmap meeting with the team. And I remember they were saying, Yano, stop fucking 
executing. Just tell us where you want to go and, and we'll do it. Because down the line, we're better than you and we're more than you. And it's a losing race. So, you know, leverage us on the, mm-hmm. on the other way around. And I agreed with that, but then it was a bit late because the hospital and all that. But, but I think that there is different stages of a journey as a founder. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you can be a, an amazing founder for pre-seed to seed. And then you might be a terrible founder on Series B onward. And it, it just takes a different sets of skills, capability, motivation, pressure, etc. of it. And, you know, for example, you know, a company that is from pre-seed to Series A included is very vision-driven. We're going to be doing this from Series B onward. It's number-driven. You're going to have large investors that said, do whatever you have to do, but you've got to increase those numbers. And it's for certain founders, it's a very difficult thing because you go, no, but I want to do the right thing, not just a number thing, right? And here you start having a disconnect and then you go, but, and again, focusing on the numbers doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing. Down the line, you, you are building a business. So yeah, I think there's different stages and, and across those stages, there's a different psychology. And I think it's okay to say, I'm not comfortable in that new role. I'm okay to be willing to step down. Yes, I like maybe the grind. Maybe I am that founder that loves to bring to Series A and then step out. And that's okay. It's, it's a type of career. It's a type of entrepreneurship. Not every founder can go from, from zero to IPO and stay the CEO on top of it. And not everyone should, actually. It's a difficult conversation to have with yourself nowadays because so much there is so much narrative outside in the space about the opposite of what you just described. <laughs> I'm struggling with the words, but that, that's the thing, this kind of superhero story. But what, what you said about the superheroes earlier, I, I thought about it, that usually those comic stories, they, they're kind of short, the superhero stories. And that's what we observe in nowadays in the entrepreneurship world as well, that yes, you can be a superhero, but then your story is kind of a bit over. And then unfortunately, your company's story can also be over. Also, if you look a little bit like, you know, I think there is... um. A lot of those superhero founders almost became supervillain. Elon Musk, the superhero that is becoming supervillain with Twitter. Zuckerberg, superhero, supervillain. Jeff Bezos, superhero, supervillain. And so, in a way, I do think governance, I do think a professional CEO, accountability, I think all of that is is valuable. And I, I do think that the fact that Elon Musk is surrounded by yes men around him of not challenging him on everything because he has that superhero status that he knows best, that will necessarily lead to his downfall at one point because he will make that one bet too many and no one will tell him. Like Zuckerberg, in a way, haven't been really a big fan of you know, the whole privacy model that he has, but I, I do really respect him for that big bet he's making about virtual reality and the whole metaverse, changing the company name to Meta. But in a way, it's, it's a very... You know, it, it's a very powerful position to be a founding CEO of a listed company with preferred shares. And, and on the back of an emotion, or on the back of a feeling, you can move hundreds of billions of shareholder value in one way or another just because you think that it's the right thing. The thing is, you know, are, are you really human when you're able to make those shots? Like, are you really human when you're Elon Musk and you go, I'm going to put people on the Mars, which is the job of government? Like, I, I do think that... And, and then you almost become a supervillain, right? I think it's a very, anything in entrepreneurship at that level becomes abnormal, right? And I do think psychologically, you don't, you don't have the feeling that you're a normal person anymore at that stage. It's not, it's not possible. Yeah, you don't get there with that no. mindset. Do you feel like we need entrepreneurs that we get to that stage when they are 
become incivilent or should we um, change something um, in the ecosystem? No, I think there is, um, I think that, you know, the, can you just be a, can you be a good guy or a good girl and build a successful startup? That's another question. Can you be nice and build a company? And, you know, or do you need to have that cutthroat attitude? And, you know, can you build a multi-billion dollar business by being a nice person doing the right thing? And a lot of people are challenging this, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to get terrible VCs trying to stuff your own and P firms and thing and then and this and the clients and you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to fire people. And doesn't mean... So I guess... I think there is for me a I think there is a there's a space for for entrepreneurship where we're not just talking in terms of unicorn we're talking in terms of companies worth 100 200 300 million and it's still an incredible value creation for the world and and maybe that's okay to be a, a nice person without superhero power just that diligent person building that business and getting there but I think that there is something um there's something superhuman in the unicorn club and and I don't know, I've never been there myself, so I cannot say how it would change your psychology. But even before that, I think that there is um I think people should be proud in general of being able to build a company that has any sense of valuation out of nothing. Like from a going from a piece of paper to something even worth two million on exit, big congratulation. Like and I think this people should celebrate much more often than, you know, just unicorns because there's so many founders out there that are building small companies. And and yes, maybe the venture capitalists wouldn't have made the return that they wanted to on this, but they still sold the company and they built it out of nothing. And it was two people, a table and a piece of paper. This is there's something magical about this, right? And and those stories are worth telling as much as the IPOs of the world, for sure. I want to roll back to what you talked about or touched uh, upon and your fintech journey. Accelerated journey where you didn't have any co-founder, you were the only founder, and then basically a business game. Well, it was a game over for business, right? When you were out of the game, mm-hmm. sooner or later. How is it now? So now I'm, I have two co-founders, for which I'm very grateful for because I think it it allows you to to have different perspective. I think having three co-founder is great because. It's never an either-or decision. It's, there's always a third party coming in, and in a way, the dynamic changes every now and then. So I think that's interesting. I think, practically speaking, having co-founders is, is worth it. Yes, you get more dilution because you're sharing something, but I, but I think it's worth it. I, genuinely, I, I would never, if I was to do another business in the future, I think I would always try to have co-founders with me because it's, you share a level of Thinking, responsibility, accountability, it is something to be managed because you have more dynamics happening. But I can s- it's funny how being a solo founder, it is incredibly lonely. And I can see how having a co-founder maybe at the time may have prevented the first company from closing down because I would have had someone to put that weight on whilst I was recovering. And instead of bringing shareholder value to zero and closing down the company, we would not have had to do this right so so i think it's a relief to, to have co-founder and i think for anyone doing a company it's very useful because your advisors you won't have the same time with them like just saying how you feel every day this you should be able to do it with your co-founder your advisors you won't do it your investors you will not do it because you think that is a conflict of doing that your team it depends on your leadership style and if it, if you can speak about it, they won't necessarily find something for you for it. So yeah, I think having a co-founder is is worth the extra dilution. 
And because I don't think of it in terms of a negative, it, I don't think co-founder takes away something from you. I think co-founder adds something to the business that is the one plus one equal three, genuinely. And then that extra dilution is totally made up by the additional gain you would get as a duo. Yeah. I just yesterday talked uh, to uh, one of my clients. It was not about the co-founders, but he basically got himself out of some situation um, in his business by with the check. Let's just generalize or uh, keep it th- at that level of details. And he said, now I know the price of uh, my peace of mind. <laughs> and there was like, it was a contract that was disrespected by the other party. The, it was a very clear case on the on the legal side that he would win if he would go into the legal uh, battle there. But he said it would be up to 18 months of that legal crap going on. And I just didn't want that to myself, to my family. And yeah. I paid that money with ease to get out of that contract. So yeah. I think it's a very powerful thing that sometimes it is this price, you know, as, as you say, basically uh, you, you get a smaller piece of a pie, but in the end, it's a bigger pie when you can share the burden of building a company with some other people, especially if they, you choose wisely and they comp- you complement each other in a good way, then you can build something bigger, something more impactful and, and do it quicker. So it actually becomes a smaller piece of a bigger pie. Yeah. Absolutely. And now it's not to say that, you know, co-founder relationships are always easy. I think co-founder relationships, like any relationship, have moments of lows and highs, et cetera, et cetera. But I think a good way of, of and that's the same thing with your team, which is I've always, whenever I was in doubt, I would always look back at myself and say, would I rehire the same team and the same co-founder? Was I due to do that company tomorrow again? And if the answer is always yes then you have the right people around you and you have the right co-founder, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you know, you, you, relationships and human relationships have challenges by definition. So don't expect co-founder relationship to think, but overall it should be a net-net positive, not a net-net negative. And yeah, that's, that's how to do it. However, the other thing about co-founder relationship, but it's true for employees as well, is and you're talking about contracts and all this, but I think, for example, ESOP and, well, not ESOP, share vesting for co-founders is very important. because you may start with the, the, the intention of doing something big together and then something may become sour or something in your life become, or you become sick or you become married or, and you go, nah, I don't want to do the business anymore. And then you start to have that thing with your co-founder saying, okay, but, but now you're shareholder, but you're not as involved and how do we do this, et cetera. And I think there is, there is a value of having those, those exit scenario plan at the beginning. And the good thing is there's no reason to make it personal. It's industry standard. I think share vesting amongst co-founder just aligns co-founders with the long-term interests of the company and you, you deliver it. And in, in a weird way, governance of a company also removes a lot of stress because governance creates rules that you don't need to invent them and you don't need to feel awkward about them. So yeah, this is how we do it. That's a piece of paper. And um, you know, I didn't make it up. It's there. It's industry standard. We'll follow it. And so that way you depersonalize certain things that may feel like a personal attack or stress. So governance is also one of the things I've got to learn over time, which is very healthy for founders thinking because it removes a lot of the guesswork because you just create a structure that deals with scenario on a recurring basis. And it can be so healthy just to talk through those scenarios, uh, especially if it's a facilitated conversation by someone who, who knows those scenarios, right? And can help you uh, talk through them and actually think together and those kind of things because that can make it 
clear what kind of business you want to build, not only about exit, right? But it's more about like, okay, that actually opens some more threads or for you to think about in building the business. I want to touch a bit on the founder's taboo, uh, Janusz. Mm-hmm. You, you've taken a lot of your experiences and not only yours, right? And you are building something very valid, valuable for the founder community uh, to bring, first of all, the awareness to the topic of mental mm-hmm. health challenges for the founders, create a community and have the resources that are affordable to everyone who wants to, mm-hmm. to get their, yeah, their, uh, those resources in their hands. Do you have a favorite topic among those that you have on the platform for now? It's a good question, actually. I've, we really covered so many topics, but I've seen one, for example, about nutrition. It was a very interesting thing because, you know, it's, I, don't know, I think the, the person was saying you know, most founders typically like vitamin D and then they could just take some supplements of vitamin D. It was very practical. It was very simple. I think the depression is, is an interesting one. Anxiety is an interesting one. Like I've, I've always got thrown, but I, I guess to me, the, the value of what we've done with Founders Taboo is we got to talk about topics that a lot of founders experience, but never heard someone else talking about it. I think just the act of hearing, oh, another founder got depressed, or another founder had anxiety, or another founder doesn't really know how to eat every day. Like that level of relatability has a huge amount of value. And then, of course, because founders are very reaction driven, it's okay, so what do I do? So yeah, Founders Taboo was here to build up the awareness around that taboo of what is mental health for founders. I think it's hugely valuable, perhaps even more for second, third-time founders. Uh, I think first-time founders, they don't know what they don't know. And also, just to be clear, certain founders are super happy and have no issue whatsoever, and they're super balanced and you know, well done for all of you. And in the same way that, no, but like what I'm just getting at is, you know, like not being well or just like hustling doesn't make you a founder, not being well doesn't make you a founder, right? It's, you don't need to have the pain and the cross on your shoulder of, oh, I have entrepreneurship. And like, no, it's like actually can also be super light and be super happy. But 70% of founders at one point do a, actually 100% of founders will have difficulties. But at any given point in time, 70% of founders do have an ongoing mental health issue from something absolutely dark, like societal thoughts, to something much more lighter, which is anxiety. But to the point about what we said about being superhuman, who can you say this to? And today, I, I don't think there is a, a platform or there's a channel or there's a capability to say it. And if you wanted to say it, who else can you follow up with? And so that's kind of what we wanted to do, which is we wanted to raise the awareness. So then if you wanted to take action and then talk to you know a psychologist, a coach, or just know the best meditation app, you can do it. So for example, you know, you are a founder saying, I want to now talk with Anna because I now have the awareness and I want to take action. Okay, here's a level of curation. And this, this I think has value because otherwise, where do you go? And that's the problem that I faced. Like two years ago, when I raised my hand and go like, okay, shit, I need to get better. I really didn't know where to go. Like, do I go to my local GP and I go, hey, I'm a founder and I have a mental health issue. What they will hear is you have a mental health issue. They won't hear that you're a founder, which is fair enough. Like, you know, you don't need to you need you need to see a, a psychologist that understands a baker if you're a baker. But I do think that founders have a unique set of problem, not in terms of the psychology, but I think in terms of the time frame that they have. And I think that there is today a disconnect between the waiting time to get mental health support and the time it takes to build a company. If the average waiting time to see a psychologist, it's true in the UK, I've, I've gone through it, is over nine months, but ninety percent of companies fails in the first year. 
by the time I get help, my company may have closed. Mm-hmm. And then the whole exercise is irrelevant. So I think the unique set for founders' mental health is not so much the condition. Depression is well-defined. Anxiety is well-defined. Self-esteem is well-defined. But perhaps one of the different the difference is the delivery mechanism of getting better and the speed at which is being delivered. So relatability and accessibility, those elements, I think, need to be marketed differently to founders at the very least. And that's what we're trying to achieve with, with Founders Taboo and with the marketplace model that we have. That's fascinating. So what are your next steps with uh, bringing more awareness and, and putting a spotlight on the Founders Taboo? So... Look, we're building it like a startup. So, you know, which we're still looking for a market fit. I mean, we have a huge amount of response. We have over, in the first few months, we had over 600 founders trying to register for it and having people having access to it and being able to be featured in books and the new media and all of that. But I, I still don't see the usage rate that I think, like, it's funny. It's, 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 do founders say, yes, this is a problem? Yes, they keep on saying. And now that we allow them to say it, it's even more clear. But, what they really need to get better, I think we haven't found it yet. And so this is why currently we're doing that marketplace is, do you need peer groups where every Thursday you can talk? Or do you need a blog? Or do you need a podcast? Or do you need a coach? Or do you need a retreat? And I think we just need to find what is that one product and solution that will create value for 80% of the community. And today we, we don't know. And that's why I think the market this approach is great because there's a lot, there's resources out there for founders' mental health. I think it's not put together in a comprehensive manner, in a curated manner. This is what we do. But today, I think the, and, and then there's another thing, which is, is, is your mental health a journey or is there a silver bullet? Is it that one thing that unclicks you? And I think this, this we're working on it to, to find that, that one solution that really solves the pain point. And in, until then, we just want to keep on building the market awareness so at least people know that they're not alone, that there are resources available. And right now, it's for people to try to find what is the best functioning method for them. And perhaps one day, we'll find that one secret thing that allows to unlock an entire ecosystem. But that's, you know, that's, 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 that's a journey. It requires data, asking people, getting feedback, etc. What's your feeling on that? Do you believe that there is some kind of silver bullet that we'll find? I, I, I don't know. Like I, like you know, I've been toying around with things. Uh, like, is it maybe the fact that I don't know? Founder Taboo looks at the calendar of a founder, and if we start realizing that you have back-to-back meetings, at one point we send an alert saying, "Take care of yourself." I, I don't know. Is it so? I think that you you may have a difference between an aha moment. In a solution, like I have a aha moment, which is I need to take care of care of myself, and this wasn't there five years ago. We started like, where were you five years ago? Five years ago, taking care of myself was not part of my vocabulary. Today it is, and today it's 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 in my mind now. Even myself, I still don't know what I exactly need to do to get better. So I'm in my own journey, and I'm sharing that journey with others to show that it is a journey. And once I will come to that solution, perhaps that solution will be relatable for others or not. But I think at the very least, what the Founders Taboo today can achieve, I think it will achieve to make other founders realize it's okay not to be okay. And this in itself is a, is a click in your head. And then from that click, you'll need to try to find a solution. But already getting that click on what we talked about, your friends and family talking around you, 
they talk around you, but it doesn't register. And at one point, your brain will go, no, actually, I need to do it. So if we can generate that click, the good thing with entrepreneurs is they're sufficiently resourceful that the moment something clicks in their head, they'll go out and find something. Mm. So perhaps the rule of founders taboo is just to get entrepreneurs to get that click in their head. And then it's for them to have the creativity and the power and the energy of entrepreneurs to find something that works for them. I don't know. But I think today, even that click doesn't really exist. If we achieve that, I think that will be hugely valuable. If we then allow founders to get better, even more amazing, but it takes steps. It's a fascinating journey. And I'm so grateful that I'm allowed to uh, to kind of touch it from, from the side for now. And maybe it will be more, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I, I do really believe in what you're building and I do see the need for it. And uh, I think it's very powerful that you have your experiences, the, the good, the bad, bad and the ugly, to really ask the right questions while building this platform to really make a big impact with it in this space. Janosch, it was much longer than I expected, but I just couldn't stop. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> and I'm very, very grateful for the conversation. No, and th- thanks for, uh, for, for taking the time. Thanks for what you've been doing. Also, thanks for John and Gunnar to have you know, introduced us. He's another yeah. amazing fellow founder. I mean, he's, he's, he's a bit of a unique guy. I think he has that level of creativity. He's an artist, right? And, and I think... When we talk about psychology, I think artists are a little bit like entrepreneurs. They create worlds and they have that passion that keeps on driving and building that world. And, and Jan Gruner is, is that person that introduced us in parallel and then we got to know each other. But it's, it's, he's really a beautiful person. So I think thanks to you for what you've been doing. But also thanks from, for him yeah. and putting us together in touch because it's, um, it, it takes, and I guess it, it takes people to inspire other people and to get people to get better and coming from the small circle of trust on, on what you've done is, is what then makes you the same message so much more impactful because you go, I can trust that voice because that voice has been trusted by someone else that I highly trust. And this in of itself keeps on, on, on building. And I'm also very, very grateful to Jan Gunnar and to your genius leaders. Uh, I will put the sh- uh, link to my episode with Jan Gunnar in the show notes to listen to that because we're, yeah, he, he's been a guest on, my, on the show. Uh, and the thing is that I've been trying to get into your circle <laughs> for a bit before that. And you, you still have a pending LinkedIn re- connection request from me. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's the power of those connections, right? He saw that, yeah, you both are talking about the same things. Like while we chatted off record with him after the interview. And he was like, I... I and oh no, actually, it was me mentioning. Like I saw that you you are connected, and uh, and he was like, yeah, actually, you're talking about the same stuff. So let me connect you. And here we are. So I'm really grateful to him for that connection. And I do think that we are, we can build something great when we join forces. Absolutely, I agree. So thank you so much, Janos, again, and thank you, Genius Leaders, for tuning in. Uh, let's talk next week. Thank you very much, Anna. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.